I just do what they say. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, it's just simple to me. It's like, you know, faith in Jesus is simple to me. Making money is simple to me. It's a simple sacrifice. You, you buy assets. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. host for today is Chad Harris, my dad, who enjoyed going to the gym with me every day. That is, before quarantine. All right, welcome everybody. I am super excited to in- introduce you all to my good friend, Stephen Van Kallenberg. I first met Stephen over two years ago, and I was immediately impressed with his knowledge of real estate and management, and in the time since, getting to know him much better I'm continually impressed by his willingness to help others. Um, In his career, just a few things he's done include building an impressive rental portfolio, developing systems for management to make those rentals passive, and building an education company to help others learn how to invest. Without divulging any more or stealing any more of his thunder, welcome, Stephen. Hey, Chad, I'm excited. I'm excited to be a part of your success of your venture with true wealth investors. Um, it's true. You will be wealthy with the more you learn, the more you grow as an individual and ultimately as an investor. Glad you were able to join us. I know your backstory, but uh, for everybody listening, how did you first get the itch for real estate or how did you first get involved? All right. Well, um, just even a little bit more backstory. I was born in September 1973. So you could do the math or I can cut right to the chase. I'm 46 years old. I was uh, with a mom. Of course, I was mom and dad. My dad left when I was two. And my brother at that time was six years older than me. He was eight. I had to go foster home, which was uh, difficult to deal with. And I felt bad for him. I really didn't know him. Obviously, I was two. But he took the burden of my dad leaving my mom, uh, that it was my fault per se and, Mm. or his fault. And he really conflicted and he he became out of control physically and emotionally tried to kill me several times as a child, uh, because that would solve all the problems that if I was gone, then my dad would come back. And it's sad to say, but that's not the reality. I know a bad person that just decided to be soft, leave a mother and two children behind. And so my life started out like that. It wasn't uh, roses and all glamorous. The only thing I knew and only thing I saw, and it's funny, I was just thinking about this today about, you could say all you want to say, but the only way can, uh, can impact in our life is to model them. And I, as I reflect that, how am I modeling that to my children today? And I, you know, I, what modeled to me as a child was hard work and also the, the pain of being abandoned. But my mom worked three jobs, majority of my life. Um, I saw my brother a couple of times. I saw my dad like once when I was about 16, which was a very awkward situation. I was born in Dover, New Jersey, lived there for about 14 years. And then my mom just uh, ran into some more issues uh, with the school district where I was going. I had behavioral problems as a child. I was overweight and I had a learning disability. I was about six years behind in reading. 
And I just lashed out. I had so much anger, anger towards my dad, anger towards my brother, and my, even my mom too. I was mad at her because she was never around. She never saw me play a sport. She basically worked all the time. Uh, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. She lived in the living room. I lived in the bedroom, and that's all I knew was apartments. And I was very angry that every time I tried to ask for something, no, we didn't have the money, or no, you can't have your friends over because – you know, she was ashamed of our living conditions that she lived in the living room. And I mean, I can't, you know, now at 46 years old, I'm like, wow, just the sacrifice uh, that this poor woman did and just the abuse that I gave her and the way I treated her and I yelled at her and I was mad, but I didn't understand as a child that, you know, I, it was a difficult time in my life. So that was the breeding ground of being driven. I didn't want to live any longer in this environment. I, you know, I didn't understand you know, I got bused to a special school because I was behind in reading and I was in New Jersey that you're forced to go to school in, um, you have to go to school. And I was bused to a school of about 50 kids and there was about six to eight kids in my class and there were rough neck kids. I got beat up on the bus all the time. It was just a very bad environment. And my mom, you know, tried to get me out of that environment, but I got kicked out of school for fighting, for being disruptive. And there was no other way. And what we came to find out was that every child in this school got paid. You have to go to school and they, for every child is a dollar bill. And so when I asked them one time, and I remember this around 11, 12 years old, I was like, well, how do I get out of this school? I was working on my behavior. I was overcoming my reading, reading disabilities. There's a lot more detail in there, but they were like, well, we can mainstream you, you know, work on your behavior. And so I did. And I, was and I was like ready to roll. I was like, okay, I, I did everything you wanted me to do. I want to go to regular school. And they're like, no, you can't get one more year. And I think my mom, you know, when I look back, my mom is super smart and savvy. She was gangster. And she was mm -hmm. like, she knew something was up. And she was like, she, this poor woman just picked up everything. And we moved across the country. We moved to California. This is like the real deal, Karate Kid. We had a Volkswagen jet. I mean, a Jetta, the little... Uh, um, man, I can't remember the name. It's a little tiny Volkswagen, looks like a Jetta, and a little U-Haul trailer. And we drove across the country. We landed in California, in San Diego. Uh, in, it's an area called Imperial Beach, which was just by Tijuana. And it was interesting because back then they didn't have the internet. And you, my mother, for some weird reason, did not have my transfers <laughs> papers from school. Oh, man. And so... So, which was good though, because I had this bad record of being disruptive and learning disabilities and I'm a special ed child. And so after a month or so, they reluctantly let me enroll in Imperial Beach. So I got to go to school, high school for the first time, which was extremely powerful. And I got straight A's. It was an amazing opportunity for me. And um, at that point, my mom could not find a job and we lived right by the border. I mean, you could see Tijuana from our backyard. Now, keep in mind, at this time in my life, we had zero. We had this little golf VW, I can't remember the name, with a trailer. I mean, we lived on an airbed. We had nothing. And so my mom couldn't find work. The labor was so cheap there. And we were, we were on welfare. And my mom did the unthinkable and called my dad at this time, lived in the Bay Area, San Francisco-ish area, which is called Richmond, California. And called her and she was like beyond desperate. Now, keep in mind, I did not know this. I was so ignorant as a child because I was at special, special school. 
So I was basically sheltered as a child, which was a good thing. Cause the only thing I did was I just worked on computers and introvert. I didn't really go out. I didn't have any friends cause all my people I went to school with were shipped there. And I did not go to school with the kids in my neighborhood in the apartment. So I, I basically stayed, I was an introvert, which I am personally, and I've overcome that. So my mom called my dad and then that was the first time I ever got to meet this dude. We, we packed up again and left San Diego. I think we were in there for six months, maybe eight months. And we, you know, my whole life, we moved almost every three to four years. So I've always lived in an apartment. I've always moved uh, often and we moved and we moved into with, with this, my dad, <laughs> which was the unbelievable um, experience of a lifetime. Internet just came online and, and dating was coming on and, and I lived with this guy. And at mm. the time, my, my dad, my brother was, um, he was still in the foster home-ish or just graduating. He went into the Navy. And so, and then I, that's how I got to California. This time I had transfer papers from Imperial Beach, California, which I had straight A's. And so I was there for at least one or two semesters. So those transferred in and I was able to go to school, but I still had the special needs, special education I tied to my name. And I went to, uh, um, I, I got worked that off and long story short, but anyway, I graduated, you know, one powerful story was on July 29th, 1991. It was, I came to know Christ. I was in gym class. Someone invited me to gym class and said, you want to go to church? I was like, no F church. There's nothing going on at church. He's like, bro, there's women there, girls there. And I was like, well, I'll check it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was my first time ever hearing the word Jesus. Uh, I was like, who the heck is Jesus? And Jesus died for me. No, he didn't. Who's this dude, Jesus? And that was the very first time I was 16 years old that I ever even heard the word J-E-S-U-S, which is phenomenal if you think about it, especially in Oklahoma, which is a biblical Bible belt. But for a whole, you know, I heard Jesus for the very first time. And I was like, wow, this guy said if I was good and, and I believed in God, I'd go to heaven. I didn't know that you'd have to just as you sit here, and I was really frustrated, confused, and angry at my youth minister. I went to church for the first time, and they accepted me, and I would really curse at them and say, F you, I'm not going to hell, because I didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, I was a wild child. You got to keep in mind, man, like, I'm all cool now. <laughs> but I, I mean, this poor, this poor woman, I mean, she was a four-foot, four-foot, five-foot Chinese lady or Asian, whatever you want, I don't be politically correct, and I was not easy to work with. And so I... Uh, you know, for a whole year, I went to church there and I, I am an introvert. I am a very detailed person. And I really, if I was going to make a commitment to this Jesus guy, I'm going to go all in. And so I went all in that's on July awesome. 29th, 1991. And that's when I came to know Christ. And so then I, you know, went through high school with a new perspective. I really in love with computers. I, I, I understood Pascal and basic and was my dream was to go to a computer college and you know my my educational background being behind and reading really didn't help me at all and so I just struggled I didn't know what I was going to do and my youth minister who you know led me to, to the cross she went to Oklahoma Baptist University and this girl her name is Jeannie Wong she's the most amazing woman and she invited me she's like I want you to consider going to Oklahoma Baptist University and I was like what is Oklahoma? And again, never even heard the word Oklahoma. <laughs> like, I don't even think we drove through there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't know my geographical location. She's like, Oklahoma, is there Indians and teepees? And, you know, <laughs> and she's like, I'll drive you there. 
for spring break or something. And I was like, okay, so my senior year, uh, I saw the campus and I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I felt the calling to go there and it wasn't easy. I didn't have the SAT scores to get in and I had to write an essay and my youth minister had to write an essay and I, and I proved all the naysayers wrong that I would never be able to go to college. They thought I was going to, you know, they, when I was in that special school, they're like, you need to learn a trade. You need to learn to be a woodworker. You're never going to make it. You're fat. You're ugly. You're ignorant. And that's all I heard all my life. And I was going to prove them wrong one day. And I, and I finally met, made it to college. So when I made it there, I was a young Christian. I've only been a Christian for my senior year. And I, a lot of, I just grew up really fast and I started just hustling. I didn't, my, my mom literally was pissed off. She didn't know Jesus. And she's like, you're going to go to Oklahoma. Um, and in the conversations I had with my mom, when I first became the Lord, she was like, why are you giving the church money when we're broke? Like I was telling the world there's a better way. And so it was difficult that my mom didn't understand, you know, why but I would leave her to go to this school. I'm sure. Yeah. But, when you struggle so, through so much together. Yeah. Oh yeah, we went through life together. I mean, my mom just did, as I realized now at 46, realizing that my mom did everything for me, that where I'm at today with the resources and the the economic position that I'm in, I mean, you wouldn't believe. I mean, at one time in my life and, and during college, I was homeless. I mean, I had no money. And, you know, I was telling one of my business partners in an endeavor that, we're, you know, we're going over these meetings today. I mean, that's all I've been doing is meetings, how we're going to deal with this COVID-ID and stuff. And I'm like, I, I, told, I, I told them that I'm like, you can overcome anything. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. So anyone went to college. I think that's, a, I um, think that's an awesome um, encouragement for people because, I mean, you obviously had a very comforting mother and, a, and you know, she was doing everything she could for you, but you didn't have a lot of other things in your favor. Is there, I mean, what, is there something you tend to say to people if, if they feel like they can't be successful because of their situation or because of their background or, you know, if people complain they don't know the right people or came from the wrong neighborhood? It's a very good question, Chad. I, I just ignore those people. I avoid those people. I, I can't help them. I try to encourage them. Like, so, so let me give you a little piece of the story. Cause I try to give people the book. So, okay. So what happened was I went to college, didn't do well. I left. And then eventually I started working with this band and this band, and I'm going to answer that question here in a minute. So the band, I started, I started being their band manager and I was managing this band around the country. And one day they handed me rich dad, poor dad, and their dad read it. They were very savvy 18 year old kids and they were able to have freedom. And they were able to tour around the country and not worry about money. Now we made money as we were touring the country. We sold CDs and merchandise. You know, they really didn't worry about their house because they lived in a duplex. And so they can be rich at poor dad. And, and I read this book and I was like, wow, I can be rich. I, I don't have to have a pedigree. I don't have to go to college. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do these things. I just have to buy assets. And I didn't understand what asset was. And so when I read that book, It's only, this is, well, there's three times this has happened to me, but once before when I came to know Jesus, when I read Matthew, the scales were lifted off. I was like, wow, you know, I see. And then when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, the scales were lifted off. And so now I I run around like a Bible beater for Rich Dad Poor Dad. And, you know, (laughs) at this time I'm 25 years old. 
and I was giving the book out like crazy. I mean, I was looking at my Amazon account the other day. I mean, I've ordered that book at least 30 something times on my Amazon account within, since Amazon is in existence before then <laughs> I, I was buying it by the case and I would just give people the book, you know, and I always say this example, it's like, if you had the cure for cancer, you would tell everybody, yeah, I have the cure for cancer, you know, take this pill. But see, it's the same thing for, for wealth. It's like, I have the cure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this book. And, I, and, it, it, and it, it worked for me. I just bought assets. I, I didn't buy a DVD player. I don't, I don't own a Wii. I know these neighbors around me, they're like, what in the world? I, we don't, we, I'm sorry, we, my son cannot get on because we just, we, we think of ways to do things to entertain ourselves. N- nothing wrong with video games, but in my mind, that's a doodad. That's not, that's not making me any money. So I have no interest in that. And I'm being point blank. When I was 25 years old, I only spent all, all the way probably till I was about 40. I became a millionaire probably in around 35. I was like, I only, only spend money on things that make me money. So if that cheeseburger doesn't make me money, I'm not going to buy the cheeseburger. I'm going to opt for the turkey. That's 68 cents. I'm not going to buy the $3 cheeseburger. Like, I'm, I'm not serious. Like, that's how, like, people don't want to sacrifice. Like, I had this, my mom sacrificed. So maybe it was ingrained in me. Like my mom worked three jobs, had no life. She had a bad son. She had another son in a foster home. I can't imagine what that gal had to go through. So I mm. knew that the pain and the anguish that just crushed was I don't want to be my mom. I don't want to be rich. Thank God I'm rich. God has blessed me beyond recognition. I mean, I'm, the, the, the goals that I have, I've crushed all my goals. I can't even imagine in the, in the place where I'm sitting right now and the, the conversations that I'm having are just unbelievable. And people call me and ask me for my opinion. <laughs> like uh, I was on a call yesterday with 30 other investors. They really want me on the call. I'm like, what am I going to tell you that you don't know? Like what makes me so much more special than you? I, I just do what they say. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, it's just simple to me. It's like and Jesus is simple to me. Making money is simple to me. It's a simple sacrifice. You, you buy assets. And yeah, there's some risk involved, but I don't, I don't see that there's risk. I, I just see it's calculated. I, I bought this house the other day. It's worth a hundred thousand. I got it for forty thousand dollars. It's forty cents on the dollar. I know I'm going to have to put in at least ten or fifteen, uh, fifteen thousand in rehab to say worst case scenario, the world ends. I need sixty G's in it. How much can I rent it for? Eight and eight hundred, eight fifty, nine thousand. That is a deal. That's that's not a risk yeah. to me. That's a calculated risk. And so it it just boils down to, I just read the book and I sold everything I owned. I sold my microwave. I sold my TV and I only bought things that made me money. I bought a new computer that I was DJing at the time that would burn CDs, which was very expensive back then. I bought headphones. I needed headphones to operate my DJ business, whatever that would make me more money or make me more efficient or move me to the right direction, I paid for it. And even today, I paid for a call yesterday. It was $50. I, and I know it's, I mean, people are charging money. I know I'm doing free calls, but it was $50. It was an attorney and a landlord hosting a seminar. Couldn't make it because I had another obligation. And I called my staff and I was like, listen, can, do you have time at one o'clock tomorrow? Can you do this and take notes and, and email me the audio? Can you do that? Yes. You sh- and she emails me back. She's like, do you know that this costs $50? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I know it costs $50. Just pay for it. it. It moves us forward. 
what it did though for me, that $50, it, it reinforced our policies and procedures that we just, that I just finished three hours ago writing seven documents that I just wrote that are policies and procedures that we're handling every circumstance. That phone call just reconfirmed that legality wise, how we're going to handle if we're going to have any people not paying their rent. That's what $50 mm-hmm. does. Or the call that I was on before that, people were speculating, like, I think this is wrong. Oh, I'm going to contact my tenants. I think you're dumb. Don't contact them. Let them contact you. They know what they should be doing. But see, you, when you start getting false information or some guru says you should do this, and next thing you know, you're at the mercy of confusion. Sometimes you got to pay. So I need any money that I make, even today, I know I, I do spend a little bit differently than I did, but today I only buy things or invest in things that make money and the only thing that are going to help me or propel me. So do you think with, with your kids' background, are you able to kind of instill that in them still, um, knowing that they come from a much different situation than you did growing up? I mean, it's extremely difficult. I, the only thing, I, I mean, the answer to the question is very extremely difficult to teach them hard work. Sometimes I wish they would suffer. They don't suffer. There's a pool outside. You know, people are dying in the coronavirus and they're in the pool swimming. You know, I mean, is it wrong? No. Is it right? I don't know. But you would the reality force suffering on your children. You know, they, they need to work, work hard, but you wouldn't. But, uh, yeah, but, but they, but they do, but they're, we, I, we treat them like machines. They wake up, they have a checklist. They must do their checklist. They, we, you know, we, we've not homeschooled. We're homeschooling now. They get up, they have a routine, they follow. They get up, they, they, they check off their checklist. Do they clean their bed, pick up their room, brush their teeth, go in, read for 20 minutes, go to the computer, work on your math facts, and then you get free time. Yeah. 30 minutes or an hour. I didn't have any structure. I had no idea if we were going to have Christmas. I didn't know if we, if I, I, I knew that we, I would never get new clothes. I never got new clothes. I didn't know what new clothes were. And then when I got new clothes, I didn't want to wear them because I didn't want to mess them up. And I had to overcome. Mm-hmm. It took me probably 20, 15 years, 10, I don't know, at least five to 10 years for me to overcome the scarcity mentality and to break that curse that was on me. My kids, you know, we, they don't, they have the abundance mentality. And so the greatest thing that I'm teaching them are just different principles of we give more, we, we give more right now. We're, we're, we found out that there's kids with cancer that in the hospitals and people can't visit them. They don't have activities. So what we did, we went and bought at the dollar store activities and we're going to drop that stuff off. I mean, we give, they don't understand like, why are we doing because we give because we can give because we have the money thank god we did all this before everything was shut down we we stocked up at the dollar store and we bought all this stuff and we got to drop it off but you know they see that now i try to teach my son i teach him about accounting and i teach him to be smart and how to make money they know i know that they'll be wealthy i know that for a fact i don't have to worry about my three children because they have the key principles that i have instilled in them from birth this is how you make money Mm. you we work you know they they know how to make money they make now my daughter makes money now they know they know they she made bracelets and sold them at school she went door to door she sold 300 um girl scouts she's not afraid of rejection 
Now my one daughter is, and my boy doesn't, but my, my son paints pictures, wants to copy them on the copier and sell them. I mean, the guy's like, he's like trying to run a gallery. <laughs> like, I mean, and my, my wife is like super encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I need to write this stuff down because, I mean, my wife instilled that it yet today. She's like, okay, we need to set up some tables outside and just let people walk by the art gallery and just to give them something else to think about. Hmm. And then my mind was like, maybe we should have a tip jar at the end <laughs> to, pay for the, to, pay, to pay for the gallery. <laughs> like, I don't know if, I mean, we're going to try to burn in them to answer your difficult question. And it's a phenomenal question. They will have a different lifestyle but they will know we will teach them hard work. It's not easy. They kick and scream. They don't like it. One of them doesn't, but they will learn it. We will force it upon them. Nothing is free. Nothing is easy. You know, Jim Rohn says harder on yourself. Life is much easier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and each one of them are at different stages. And then we now that now one of them is a madly and both of them are my oldest ones are, madly in love with reading but if you were around about half ago i was crying i couldn't figure out how to get my child to read like he was not motivated but all of a sudden now my son is super motivated and my daughter's super motivated but it's weird i just tried to set a goal up today i'm trying to ramp up my weight loss and i was like okay guys this is how i lose this is how i get motivated i set up a goal and i'm gonna work out twice a day and if i do it for seven days i'm gonna get a reward i think i mean i think it's awesome just you can tell that you have a very close relationship with your kids and you invest a lot of time in in with them and I know your relationship with them is amazing and I know you know you live out your principles and you know we can be very deliberate with our kids about what we try to instill in them but um, really they automatically instill what we live out you know they automatically adopt those things. I, I think it's exciting to see them develop as they get older and see how um, our, our perspectives kind of come out through them. I've struggled with reading with my kids too. And uh, my two middle kids do great with reading. My oldest, he went through a phase where he didn't want to read. And I realized I was just kind of pushing the wrong books or offering the wrong books. And then I started uh, having him look at Tim Tebow books and football books. And all of a sudden he took off. So once yeah, I got awesome. on, on his subject, what he re was really passionate about, suddenly that passion was there and he was, he was interested. So it is an interesting process raising them. I think that's a very important thing. I, you know, I was talking to a dad in the neighborhood. He, you know, we were offering books to them and you know, he's like, I can't get my son to read or whatever. And he mentioned baseball it could be sports it could be art, it could be artistic. You just don't know. But I think if you really try to dial into their, their passions, like you said, for the moment, and they're gonna change, like we're into Legos right now. Legos, like fascinating that is, but we're studying Legos and we're reading about Legos. We have books on Legos. And we're, you know, my son is like me, he likes nonfiction. And so he's fascinated by that stuff. And so I think that's, you gotta feed that passion ready when, when they're ready. Definitely. So was there a point I mean, in telling your life story and kind of how how you got into real estate and, and discovered that passion uh, through Robert Kiyosaki's book, 
and you started investing, was there um, a point where you felt like you had made it or did you just constantly feel like you needed more? Well, I just set out, you know, I wanted to be a millionaire, whatever that means. I remember, you know, asking my accountant at the time, my accountant would come over to my house and go over my taxes and stuff. And, and I asked her, I was like, Hey, am I a millionaire? And she's like, Steven, you've been a millionaire for several years. And so I never really sat down. It's not an end goal in the problem is I think with real estate investors, we just like, okay, I need 50 units. I'm a millionaire. It's all about the lifestyle. I don't really think that a number really matters. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can be happy with that cash flow exactly what you need to cash flow. You know, my wife brought up someone that I used to coach several years ago, and she's like, I haven't heard you talk about blank, blank, blank. And I was like, Yeah, she did it. <laughs> she's free. I mean, how much more money did the chick need? I mean, she did. She, that girl was a very smart investor. I loved coaching her because she did it. I mean, some men are just driven by one-upping everybody. I and I fell into that race. I, I, I really thought I, I I got out of the rat race one time, and then I've been out of the rat race. I'm out of the rat race now. But and then I got back into it. But I remember when I got to like twenty something, ten units, or and I thought I you know I thought I was going to be a millionaire, and it didn't work. And I got to twenty-five units, it didn't work. And then I got to fifty units, and I'm like, man, this is. Then I got to, then I got, then I was like, when I got to 50, so I was like, well, I guess I'll get to 100 units. And it's kind of dumb. Like, it's just the way I look at it now, it's like, wow, 100 units, it's just more headache. It's just, I got more staff, especially with this COVID deal. I, I made a, I made a board decision today. I'm like, look, we're going to pay everybody their salary. We're not, we're not, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pay everybody. Like, if we, we, we got to figure it out. We're not going to cut people. We're not going to let people go. We're not going to fire people. We're not going to follow people. We're going to pay people. This is what we do. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.